Amen. God calls each one of us to take his light into a dark world, doesn't he? And the reality is only we can take that light into the world that God has allowed us to live in. And uh, there may be some overlap, but uh, like Isaiah, here am I, Lord, send me. Thank you for that song. What a blessing. Open your Bibles again to 1 John, if you will. 1 John chapter 2 this morning. And we will continue right on our study through the uh, book of 1 John. Been a uh, blessing to study. I've enjoyed uh, greatly, thank you very much, the uh, work as we've been going through and uh, the things that I have been learning. And uh, anyone who has uh, preached very much, and uh, Brother Francine and I were talking about this the other day, that uh, really what happens is God ends up nailing you with things, and then uh, you go and preach them, and it's like, man, I don't, there's no way to be able to give all that the Lord has given. And uh, so often I sit, and uh, just the conviction that comes as the Lord speaks to my heart about these things. And I've really enjoyed this study. God has spoken to my heart through this study and, uh, and greatly enjoyed the opportunity. First John chapter 2, stand with me if you will as you find your place there. And uh, today we'll be in verses 15 to 17. First John chapter 2, beginning in verse number 15. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts today. I pray that you would give exactly what we need. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be able to receive uh, from you, to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and then be able to receive what is needed. And then, Lord, help us not to just hear, but to take action on that which we have heard. We love you, we thank you, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you remember back uh, two weeks ago, Pardon me. If you remember two weeks ago, the Apostle John was uh, writing to these believers here in the book of 1 John, and he explained to them, we titled the message uh, that we're glad to be a part of the family. And uh, he's writing to them about being in the family, and these verses just immediately proceeding. And he gave three classifications of the family, not uh, that some are better and some are worse, or some that are uh, more favored or less favored by God or anything like that. Uh, But he gave these classifications based on the growth in the Christian life. And he said that there are fathers. The fathers are those who have uh, been saved for some time. They have grown. And of course, this is not uh, gender specific in this uh, situation. He's really dealing with, this would be any believer who's been saved for some time. And uh, they have now reached this that John classified as being uh, those who are mature believers. He calls them fathers. And uh, they have fought the battles. They have been, uh, really, we kind of specified, this would include uh, usually decades of growth in the Christian life, decades of uh, fighting the battles to be faithful to God, and decades of walking with Him and learning of Him and uh, really just sitting at His feet. And someone could be saved their whole life and never become one of these fathers, or they can be saved, and as they continually sit at the feet of Jesus through the Word of God on a regular basis, they can grow and mature and become that group that he defined as fathers. And we saw those a couple of weeks ago. Then we uh, said that the second classification that John gave were the young men. And uh, that is uh, the, the stage that they are not yet those fathers, but those young men have been entrusted with the battles. 
They're the ones who are, uh, they're still growing, and the fathers are too in a sense, but, but these young men, they are in the midst of the battles. Uh, these would be those who, uh, if you have a family today, you'd be one of those young men. You're, you have the battles to fight, uh, to try to rear godly children in a wicked world. I mean, there's just all kinds of different things there. And, and uh, we said you can't really classify these by age, but if we were going to, uh, those fathers would probably be 80 plus. I mean, these are, uh, we don't want to get to the place where we say, well, I'm one of the fathers, and I now have everything all figured out in the Christian life. That's not the idea. And uh, so really, most of us would probably look at ourselves as being in this uh, area of being those young men. We're still striving. We're still fighting. We're still trying to be faithful. We still have uh, something to do for the Lord. We're still growing. And uh, these young men are the ones who uh, God has entrusted with uh, those elements and to really be on the front lines of the battle. We said when you reach that stage of being one of those fathers, you get to a place where there's still battles to fight, and there's still faithfulness there that needs to be had all the way until the moment that uh, we enter into glory, amen? But by the same token, we may not necessarily be put in the hottest part of the battle any longer. Those fathers are allowed uh, maybe to not be in the, the heat or in the depth of the battle all the time, and we notice that difference. And then we said that the other were those little children. And John wrote to those little children in these previous verses of how they had learned the Father, they knew the Father, and they had a relationship with Him, but they didn't yet have the uh, depth of a walk with Him to be ready to stand in the heat of the battle. And so there's these three classifications that John gave, not better and worse, just simply where we are in the matter of growth in the Christian life. Now that is the context in which we come into verse number 15. And the reason I back up to that is it's vitally important to understand why John is placing, and uh, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, by the way, is placing these verses right where they are. Uh, Oftentimes these verses are pulled out and used on their own, and certainly they can be and preach against all kinds of different things that are in our world. Uh, But John is putting these here right on the tail end of explaining the family and how the family works. And here's really what he said is here's how we have victory in the family of Christ. We're working together and we all have a role and a place and we ought to strive to move from one of those to the next and uh, we ought to be little children when we get saved and that's where we should be and we should be happy and content there but not satisfied. We should grow to being one of the young men and then we should grow from there to being in that classification of fathers and we should be growing and growing in the Christian life and in that as each is filling their role and, and fulfilling what God has for them at this moment of the Christian life, in that then there is victory in the family of Christ and there's victory in the local church. And so we've seen all that. Now what he's doing is he's stepping into verse 15 and saying, so here's how the victory happens. Here's what you need to know as you're in those classifications and especially uh, as he's writing here and dealing with how do we actually have the victory and what are the battles that we're fighting as we're part of the family of God and and how does all this actually work together? And we're going to see this morning that John's prescription for victory in the family is that you must have a distinctive love which causes you to focus on the Father. I've said many times, the goal of separation is not separation from the world. That's what uh, many have preached for a long time. And, uh, and they want to say, well, the goal is to be separated from the world. The problem with that is, every time the world moves, so do they. And they're just as separated from the world, but they are not anywhere close to where they used to be with Christ. So the goal is not separation from the world. The goal is separation to Christ. 
Now, if we're separated to Christ, we're not going to be like this world. Amen? And so that, that element happens, but it's not the goal. So here's what John's saying to them in this passage that uh, deals with separation. But here's what he's saying is the motivation is love, and the goal is a focus on the Father, not a focus on everything else that we're separating from, though it's all in the passage here. So it's an exciting passage. It's a, uh, an interesting passage. It's a fun passage to work through, but we've got to have the context of what it is that John is teaching these New Testament believers. I wonder this morning, is there anything that holds more value in your life than God would think that it should? Is there anything that holds more value or you ascribe more worth to than what God would think you should. Oh, there are things in this life we should ascribe some worth to. But are we putting more than God would say? And that really is the question of this passage. I heard about a lady who, uh, her pastor was one of those old-time pastors, you know, he was loud. Isn't that annoying with those pastors that are loud? I'm glad I'm not a loud preacher. And uh, he was loud. He talked fast. I mean, just all that kind of stuff. And uh, he'd get up there and he just, every Sunday it seemed like, he was preaching against this sin and preaching against that sin. And she kept looking around and she said, you know, more and more of these churches, they're getting these bigger and bigger crowds and and they're not preaching against that. They're preaching on things like love and happiness. And so she finally went to her pastor and she said, preacher, She said, I just would love to hear a message on love. Would you just preach on love one Sunday? And he said, said, ma'am, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. And they had pews in their church. He said, if you'll fill up the whole front two pews with guests, then I'll preach the whole message on love. So a couple weeks later, she called the pastor Thursday afternoon. She said, Pastor, I've got it all done. All the people are going to be here on Sunday. We're going to have the rows completely filled, and uh, we are excited about it. We've, uh, I've upheld my end of the bargain. Will you uphold yours? He said, absolutely, no problem whatsoever. I'll preach the whole message Sunday on love if those two rows are filled. He came in the back door on Sunday, and he walked down, looked down. Sure enough, both of those rows were packed with visitors, couldn't fit anybody else in. And uh, they thought, man, this is wonderful. And the pastor got up there, and he said, church, I have agreed today that uh, I will preach the whole message on love. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to 1 John chapter 2. The Bible says, love, not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And he went on preaching. You know, the reality is this, love is a choice. And so often we look at love as a feeling, but in reality, it's a decision. And we hear that oftentimes, and we say things like that uh, as we come to times where we're talking about marriage, and we're talking about a man choosing to love his wife, and a wife choosing to love her husband. It's not an emotion, it's a decision that has to be made. But you know, really, that's what John is telling these believers. He's saying it's a decision that you must make, and your love must be distinctive. Love is a choice, and we must choose what to love. However, built into that choice are three realities that we're going to look at this morning, and uh, that I want you to notice these realities as we make the choice of our love. First of all, the reality is there is a distinction in our love. We see that in verse number 15. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now here's the distinctiveness. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I see a decision to love. Uh, You will love one or the other. The reality is we do not get a choice on whether or not to love. We merely get a choice on what to love. And so that love is there. And we will either love this world 
or we will love the Father. I believe that one of the great problems in Christianity in America today is that the average, the status quo Christianity in this country, and I can't speak to every other country, I don't know them, uh, but I do know the Christianity of America uh, to some extent, and many of you do, probably most of you do, and one of the great problems and, and difficulties in Christianity in the United States of America is that Christians in general are trying to figure out how to straddle the fence, how to ride the line, how to tie together, well, I love the things of this world, but I also love God, and I really don't want to give up either one and I want to kind of hold them both, and, and I want the eternal blessings that God offers, but I also want the temporal, temporary happiness that the world seems to have, and I really just want to tie it all together and hold it all at once. And when we live that way, it destroys the Christian life. And yet, in the United States of America, we have so much. We have such an abundance of stuff. And we get so attached to the stuff, to the things that seem so important. And if we don't have the stuff, usually or oftentimes, or at least there's a great temptation to feel like we're missing out. And so we, we grab on, we latch on to all the things over here. But then if you ask the average Christian, we'll say, no, 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 we love God. The problem is we want to love both sides. We don't want to hate anything. But Jesus doesn't allow that. If you hate not father and mother and wife and children, we understand he's not telling us to hate our families in the sense that we don't love them or want anything to do with them. But in comparison to our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, any other thing that we love, even love of family, ought to be as though it were a hatred. It shouldn't even compare to the love that we have for him. It's a comparative idea there. And, and so here's what, what we do if we're not careful is we try to figure out how do I hold this and hold this and then we say, well, I'm just, I feel like I'm stretched thin. I'm being pulled this way and I'm being pulled this way and I've been stretched as far as I can stretch. I can't go any further and we live this life and we have this thing in uh, American Christianity at least. I don't know if everyone else uses it, but we use this term of being burned out and I've given everything I have and most of the time, it's because we're trying to figure out how to balance something God never gave us to balance. So he says, John says here, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let go of the things of this life. Quit living for them, quit loving them, and just love the Father. Have a relationship with him. Let that be the driving motivation of everything in your life. Because if you have a love for this world, the love of the Father is in it. And you know, we really could say it exactly the opposite. If we have a love of the Father, the love of this world can't be in us. And so it's a, a distinctive love. It's one or the other. The decision to love is the decision of which or who to love. And then we see the distinction between loves. Uh, we, we try to figure out this balance. We try to figure out how to be able to satisfy both sides of it. But Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and cling to the other, or, uh, or, or excuse me, and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. We cannot serve God and mammon. He's talking about money. But really it's this idea, we can't serve God and this world. We can't have a love for both. And so we live this Christian life and we live so busy in the things of this world, if we're not careful, and then we try to balance a love for Christ with that, and all of a sudden we find we can't do it. And John tells us why. Because it was never meant to be loving this world and loving Christ. There's always what's supposed to be a distinction 
In salvation, we turn from our sin to the Savior. But in sanctification, in separation, as we turn to him in this manner, we're turning from our love for the world to the Savior. And so here is what John's saying. Quit trying to hold on to all that stuff. It's not worth it. So the question then becomes, does that mean the Christian can't have any fun? I mean, hey, if it's not ministry, if it's not something that is directly going to win somebody to Christ, I mean, if it's something of this world, like sitting down this afternoon and watching the Chiefs game, is that wicked? Is it ungodly? Is it totally sinful because it's something of this life? Or paying attention to something like the election? I mean, that's of this world. Is that something that's wicked and ungodly? Or if I actually enjoy going and doing something? Uh, You know, I enjoy uh, going out and uh, having a good time with our family and playing putt-putt golf. Is that wicked and ungodly because it's not directly going to get somebody saved? The answer is no. The reality is this, God actually designed and defines and, and wants the Christian to enjoy this life. We ought to have the most fun. We can have the most fun, and it's clean fun too, by the way. So John comes into verse 16, and he's going to give us some definition of this that's going to help us define then how can we be able to have fun without having a love of this world. What's the defining line here? So we see there's a distinction in our love. Verse 16, he's going to tell us then there is a draw for our love. Here's the question, what's drawing you? What is the world? Verse number 16, he goes right into this idea, for all that is in the world. What is the world? The world here is anything that comes between our soul and our Savior. Now, most of us, we read a passage like that, and you probably, in your mind, uh, or at least you very likely in your mind, would say, Pastor, I would agree with what John's saying here. I would agree with a passage like this. We ought to not love this world. And, uh, you know, I think about somebody maybe down in the slums of Kansas City right now that uh, they've been uh, in the last uh, several hours overnight on a Saturday night using drugs and and putting alcohol in their body and making all kinds of immoral and unwise decisions. And and I think about somebody like that and I think, you know, I I mean, really, I don't even want to hang around a situation like that. I am not interested in those things of this world. And certainly that's part of the world, amen? We ought to not have an interest in putting uh, toxic things into our body that take over and control us rather than being controlled by the Spirit of God, amen? So that's right. We, we, that is part of this world. But for many of us, probably most of us here this morning, that's not the great draw of the world. The great draw of the world is not going out and putting some substance in our body this afternoon. The great draw of the world are the things that deal with our culture. They're the deal with, uh, they, they don't look big and bad and wicked. They're the things, they just distract us from our relationship with Christ. So what does the world look like? You know, the world might look like this. It might look like Fox News or whatever you like. You say, oh, no, no, I mean, I'm trying to stay up to date on the election. I need to know what's happening. Oh, yes, politics, I think, are important to pay attention and know what's going on and and all those things. I think that that can be something that's very wise. But I've noticed that there are a lot of Christians right now that are so distracted by politics that if you took the last month of their life, they've spent more time watching the news and more time paying attention and more time talking about and more time posting about and more time being upset about all the political realm than they have just digging into this book. By the way, that's easy to do right now. 
And, and it may just be that it's not something that is vitally distinctively, I, I mean, openly wicked, but something as simple as politics. I think we ought to know what's going on. I think we ought to have the conversations. I think we ought to be able to talk intellectually uh, about why we believe the things that we believe when it comes to a, a abortion versus life. I think we ought to be able to speak uh, intelligently about those kind of things. I think we ought to be able to know where we uh, stand and why we stand there on the Second Amendment. I think we ought to know where we stand and why we stand there on all these elements, why it's important for America to stay a friend to Israel and, and, and all these different things. I think we ought to know them. We ought to be able to, uh, to, to verbalize those things. It's great. It's important. Wait a minute, if that becomes our focus at the expense of this, then we're out of balance. We're not where we need to be. And what we've done is we've let something of the world creep in and put distance between us and the Savior. It might be something as simple as this, something we use in church on a regular basis. It could be something as simple as music. I've known people, they've gotten saved, great musicians. I've read stories of others that have gotten saved, great musicians. And, and they've had to say, you know what, at least for a time I have to lay aside using that music at all because it's something before I was saved I did because it was something that I was proud of. Something that was about me. And they needed to walk with Christ a little while to where they could use that for him instead of it being about them. I mean, it can be something that is very good, uh, but in reality, if it gets out of balance, it becomes very bad. Something like beauty, trying to look good and all those kind of things. I mean, uh, there's all kinds of stuff that you can watch online, and, and I've heard men talk about this, watching all these things about how to get their beard to look right. I won't ask you if any of you have done that. I mean, I understand if a woman's trying to figure out how to get her hair to look right, but uh, you can tell I don't watch anything about how to get my beard to look right. Uh, I mean, it's just so easy, though, to get out of balance, is it not? Don't worry, I don't see any of you that look like you'd spend that time either. Stature. Where are we in the appearance of other people? All these things can so easily creep in, and all of a sudden they become a distraction in our relationship with God. And so as we come through verse number 16, that's really the application I believe John has for these believers. Hey, you need to pay attention to this in light of the things that can creep into your life as a Christian. Your life as one of those, those young men. Your life as somebody who is a growing, maturing believer. Because the world wants into you just as much as anywhere else. And Satan will work all that he can to tempt you to buy into the things of this world. And they aren't going to look like the, the slums. They aren't going to look like, they're not going to show up at your door and announce, Hi, I'm wicked and I'm the world. They're going to look innocent and harmless and even good. But they'll become a distraction. So with that idea of the world in mind, we come into verse number 16 and John says, All that is in the world... Now, the first characteristic he gives is the lust of the flesh. This is the first area of warning, uh, is especially tempting to young people. Now, all of these would be tempting to all of us, but this is especially tempting to young people, the lust of the flesh. The, the pride of what I can do in and of myself would certainly be part of this. Sometimes we read the lust of the flesh and we think purely of immorality. And certainly that would be tied up in the lust of the flesh. Uh, but there's so much more than just that. The, the young person has the strength of youth, the Bible talks about. And with that, they have the abilities that come with the strength of youth. You know, one of the things that can be uh, uh, here, it could probably be called pride of life, but certainly uh, it could also be called the lust of the flesh, is something as simple as playing basketball. 
you ever seen a teenager play basketball? And it's pretty obvious he's really just letting everybody see how well he can play basketball. And the reality is, what he's doing is, it's all lust of the flesh. Now, is basketball wicked? No. Is it sinful to go and be able to be good at it? No. But if the draw of his love is, I'm going to show how great I am, I'm going to go out and in my flesh I am going to, uh, then in reality what happened is, all of a sudden the world just crept in. Now that can be in any area. That can be, uh, I'm going to go out and, and uh, I'm going to be the greatest soul winner there's ever been by my own power because I figured out all these little cute words to say and because I figured out these cute words, probably everybody's going to want to get saved. And instead of praying and saying, God, would you give the power that we can go and be able to see people come to know Christ as their Savior and have their eternal destination forever changed from hell to heaven, instead we say, you know, Lord, you're pretty lucky you've got me on your side. Wait a minute, it's just the lust of the flesh. It's about me, it's about what I can do. This temptation is especially tempting for the young person, the young people, and, and, and teenagers and even younger have to be aware, and, and all of us, but especially as a young person aware of that lust of the flesh because we're so proud of what we can do. And there's still some physical ability and there's something in there that just has the, uh, that drive, that ability, that uh, youthfulness that can take over and, and, and just go. It's amazing. We uh, come in here every now and then and play basketball with the teenagers. And uh, when I played basketball the last time, before a few weeks ago, I would fall on the ground and it wasn't a big deal. Now I fall on the ground, it's a much bigger deal. Some of you, if you fell on the ground, it might be a bigger deal. And, and so the reality is that that changes a little bit through life. I watch these teenagers, they dive and flip and flail and, and throw the thing up and it goes in the hoop and I don't know how. And then they land and slide 17 feet and they hop right back up and they're fine. And I think, you know, I used to be able to do some of those. It doesn't work that way anymore. They, there's pride in what we can do especially tempting to the young person. Then we move past those ages. We move into that uh, time of the middle years of life and this lust of the eyes comes in. Oh, certainly we can all have it, but the lust of the eyes, what happens? All of a sudden I can't do as many things, but I have more. And now I've been maybe in a career for a little while and I've been uh, moving up and I have a little bit more resources and a little bit more financial ability and, and all of a sudden we have what many call a midlife crisis. What happens? Somebody sits, sits and they look around and they say, I'm working this job and I'm doing all this stuff and it's all for someday and I don't have anything today. And they look and they see my friends all have bigger houses cars and they've all got better stuff and they all have swimming pools and they all have better iPhones. And so I need stuff. And somewhere in that middle age of life, it's real easy to start getting caught up by what we see. And we see everybody else, if we're not careful, passing us up when we try to keep up with the Joneses. And all of a sudden, we need a fancier car, and we need a bigger house because our identity becomes wrapped up in all that. And we come to the place where it's, I have to have this, I need that, because of what I'm seeing becomes a big deal. And sometimes as a young person, we don't have the ability to do anything about it, even if that's uh, what we're seeing. But as we get a little older now, the bank will give us more money. And we can get in a bunch of debt and make some mistakes. And all of a sudden, what we are seeing becomes a bigger deal. We just need to be aware of it. By the way, we all need to be aware of that. It's not that it's only somebody in the middle. It's just that, uh, that, that we kind of move through. And as John's looking at these, I think maybe there's an, a sense in which he's looking at these three uh, elements of the family that he's given. Hey, when you're younger, be aware you may be prideful about what you can do. 
As you get a little older, maybe you can't do as much, but you have more resource, and all of a sudden it's what you see, and you want others to see you in a certain light, and all of a sudden the lust of the eyes becomes a big deal. And then we move past that to the pride of life. What is the pride of life? Uh, Well, it's especially tempting, and again for all, but it's especially tempting for that person a little bit later in years. Because now they have accumulated some things. And they have done some stuff. And these are the people, they, they can be uh, very prideful, and this pride can come because I've worked and I've labored and I've laid up and I've stored up, and now I'm at the place to enjoy some of that. And, and all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we can come to the place that we say, look at what all the work I did has accumulated. And we forget it really wasn't my work, it was really the blessing of a good God. And we have to come back and say, you know, it really had nothing to do with me, it was him. He's the one who allowed it. And so, really through all these, humility is the answer. Humility is what is needed. Coming back to a love for our Savior, not a love for what I can do. Not a love for what I see in this world. Not a love for what I have accomplished. Um, By the way, those people at the later stages of life are the ones that want to show you 75 pictures of their grandchildren. Each grandchild. Amen. I sat down next to a guy one time in an airport, and he pulled out his wallet, and he actually had one of those things that just kept flipping out. And uh, he said, oh, let me show you my grandchildren. And I thought, I really don't want to see your grandchildren, but okay. And uh, so I sat there for half the flight and looked at his grandchildren and waited for an opportunity to try to give him the gospel and never met the guy before. And, And what happens is we can be very proud of even the family that God has given. Now, there's a right sense of that. Amen. It's right to be thankful that God has given us a family that loves him, that serves him, that we can take joy and delight in and have relationships. That's a right thing. That's a good thing. But there is a place where it can become a wrong thing. And by the way, this is at every stage of life. That it can become that even that which is as important as family can become a hindrance in our relationship with God. And even our family is out of place and out of balance. It really becomes that which Satan will gladly use to damage our relationship with the Savior. So what's the answer? Is it, well, I'll never have anything to do with my family? No. Is it, I'll never have any knowledge of anything going on in my surroundings? No, that's not the answer. But the answer is this, I need to have a distinctive love that is distinctively for my Savior. And if I'm going to do that, the way that I do that is by what is drawing me. Am I being drawn to know those things so I can sound smart in a conversation? Am I being drawn to a place of pride about my family rather than thankfulness to God for my family? Is all this really drawing me to that which is temporal or is that which is drawing me to please my Savior and out of a temptation, a desire to please my Savior and distinctively serve and love Him, now out of that comes the things that I won't do or then the things that I'm just not going to love but I'm still going to be a part of. And I think, again, we ought to know some of those things. We ought to be able to defend biblically why we believe in life and not abortion. Amen? That's important. We ought to know that. We ought to be able to take the Word of God and and use it in that manner. But here's the reality. If that's all our life is and we're not focused on our Savior, then we're out of balance. So really what John is writing to these people and saying is stay away from the things that are wickedness. I mean, we shouldn't be out, uh, you know, doing things that are just ungodly. We shouldn't be uh, going to uh, watch some movie that's going to be uh, some wicked and ungodly movie and not bring glory to the Lord. You say, then what movie can we watch? I'm not really sure, but 
you can work on that. Uh, the reality is that we ought not be uh, out putting things in our body and doing things that will cause us to be controlled by a substance rather than the Savior. All those things are true. But for many of us this morning, we battle these other things a lot more. We battle the things that they look good. They're wrapped in a packaging that doesn't look evil and wicked. And all of a sudden, really what they do is they just distract us from our Savior. So I ask you this morning, not are you out partying and doing great wickedness, and if you are, let's get that right. But I really ask you this morning this, is this the great love of your life? Is your relationship with Jesus that which is drawing you? Or are you drawn to some knowledge or ability or thing that you're proud of in your life? Or the things that you see, the trinkets of this world? What is it that's drawing you? And if we, it's something other than, than our Savior, then let's come back and say, Lord, would you forgive me for that and help me just to get back to being drawn to a relationship with you? That's the most important. And so we see here, there is a distinctive love. Then there's a draw to our love. There's something that is drawing us in. It is uh, hopefully a relationship with Christ which is drawing us. And, and often that's the distinctive matter. Uh, that means the same activity for a Christian can be wrong for one and right for another. Last thought and then we'll move on. Uh, but the reality is this. There are some things that are just wrong. Amen? I mean, drinking alcohol is pretty clear in the Bible. That's just wrong. We ought not drink it. But there are some things that are not necessarily right or wrong. They can be right for someone else. Brother Matt, they might be perfectly fine. For me, they might be wrong. Uh, for me, I might have a temptation to be overly into politics. And I might be struggling with that and say, you know, I need to just not watch anything that has to do with politics for a few days uh, or weeks or years. And I just need to step back and I need to focus on the Lord. And Brother Matt might say, hey, uh, Pastor, why don't you come over and uh, we'll watch the next debate. Nothing wrong with watching the next debate, amen? But if I know that that's going to draw me away and distract me from my Savior, because that's where I am, then it would be wrong for me to go watch that debate. You see what I'm saying? So there are times where we've got to say, it's not necessarily that that thing is sinful, it's just that I need to cut it off right now because I need to make sure that I am where I need to be with the Lord. All right, with that thought, there is a distinction to our love, there's a draw to our love. Finally, there is a destination that is determined by our love. Verse number 17 gives us the destination then. It says here, first of all, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof. The love of the world leads to destruction. It's not that this, I mean, this is written to Christians, so we're not talking about them losing their salvation and being eternally damned, amen? They're not going to hell for all of eternity. They've trusted Christ as their Savior, then they're saved for all of eternity. Praise the Lord for that. But that which they loved was useless, it passed away, it was good for nothing. It was completely destroyed. One day that believer is going to stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And their life is going to pass through that fire. And it's all just going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And it's going to burn up and be useless. They'll still get to go to heaven. They'll still be able to be uh, in the family. They're still going to get to enjoy many of the blessings, but they're not going to have treasure laid up. They're going to miss out on some of the things too. 
They're not going to have the treasure that's, uh, that's going to make up the crowns that they can then cast at the feet of the Savior. Can you imagine coming before the king and everyone else has crowns to cast and saying, you know, I'm sorry, I really didn't use my time well. I don't know exactly how that's all going to work. I just understand that I want to lay up treasure there much more than here. But it's hard to keep that focus in the moment all the time. We all battle that. So this week, as we go through the week, we have to decide, not just in a moment in a church service, and I think there needs to be a place of decision. If God speaks to your heart, you ought to take the invitation time and respond to him from your heart and say, I'm making the decision to focus on him with my life. There needs to be a place of decision. But the reality is that decision will be made over and over and over a thousand times this week. What will you focus on? Is it going, going to be uh, in the morning, well, you know, I can hit snooze one more time. I may not get my time with the Lord, but I don't know about you, sleep, the world can look a lot like sleep sometimes. And, and, and I just want that ten more minutes, nine. Can you believe they only give you nine more minutes when you hit snooze? I don't know why they don't give you a full ten. But I get nine more minutes. I need it. You know, we, sometimes it's those small things, isn't it? So we focus on the things of this world, we're going to lose it all. We're not going to have the treasure laid up. Matthew 24, 12 tells us of the last days. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I wonder if that's not what we're seeing in the United States of America. You know, we don't have a Christianity, I'm talking about just across our country, that is on fire and moving forward and excited about all God may do next week. You went to many churches today, churches like ours, churches that sing and preach and do the right things. If you went to many churches across our land today, the idea would be let's just hang on and try not to lose too many. And the reality of it is this, we ought to be saying let's move forward, let's charge hell, let's go see how many people we can see one and how many churches we can see planted and how much we can see done because there's a world out there that's dying and they're dying for somebody to give them the gospel. They don't know that's what they're waiting for, but that's what they need. We ought to have a, 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 an anticipation of moving forward, but our love waxes cold because iniquity abounds. I wonder if the great iniquity isn't that loss of first love. Back to Revelation. And the reality of it is that we lose that so easily, that love for the Savior. So we see here that the love of the world brings destruction. The love of the Father, though, brings delight. Look at verse number 17. The world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Uh, sometimes a focused love on the Father feels in the moment like a sacrifice, doesn't it? I can't do that because I need to focus on my time with God and I need to focus on my walk with Him so I can't get distracted by this thing over here I would actually kind of like to be distracted in. So I'm making a sacrifice in doing that. And in the moment, it can feel like a sacrifice. But you know what it says there? In eternity, it's not going to feel like a sacrifice. One day when we see Him, it's more than just it'll be worth it all. I mean, we'll be saying, praise the Lord, I didn't waste any more time. Praise the Lord I spent the time with him that I could. And praise the Lord that I sacrificed those other things in the moment for the sake of the Savior. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, Though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Paul goes on to say, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Here's the question this morning. Which things are you looking at? 
Paul said, I'm not looking at the things that are seen, but the things that are eternal, the things that are not seen. And here's what he said, my inward man is renewed day by day. Maybe you've read that passage and you'd say, you know, I want that, but I don't always feel that. I feel like my inward man is worn out day by day. Could it be that we're looking with the wrong eyes? We're looking at that which is temporal instead of that which is eternal. He said we're looking at those things that are seen, not the things that are not seen. For, uh, for, the, which, uh, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen, those are eternal. They're eternal. I ask you this morning, where's your focus? What are you looking at? And is your life defined by a distinctive love? Not of the things of this world, but distinctively focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yesterday, Abigail went outside. Actually, Abigail and Liam went outside and they opened the garage door and uh, they had pulled out all kinds of toys. And uh, I went out a little bit later and I went to close the garage door and I got ready to push the button and I looked out the, the door there and, I mean, there were just toys all over the bottom part of the driveway over there. And so I said, uh, I just walked back inside and I said, hey, guys, you know, when you play with toys... That means you get to clean toys. So go get all the toys in the garage and close the garage door. So they went running downstairs and, uh, or running outside. And as they ran outside, I said, Abigail, t- carry this bucket down. Put that in the garage too. And she said, okay. And I saw her kind of fumble around a little bit with her hands. And uh, she grabbed the bucket and she took off. And as she started to take off, I noticed there was something in her hand. And I could just barely see something gray. And I said, whoa, whoa, hold on. He said, what's in your hand? I said, give that to me, because those are inside toys, and all you're going to do is lose them outside. And she had this clung in her hand, and she said, Daddy, these are mine. These are for me to play with. They're not for Liam to play with. These are mine. And she handed them to him. And so I turned around as she took off, and I was kind of chuckling to myself. And I looked down, and I had in my hand a little Lego guy Missing an arm, dirty, grumpy look on his face. He's not even a half Lego guy. And an axle to a vehicle that's totally worthless without the rest of the vehicle with two little tires. And I took those and I thought, how silly. That was my first thought. I mean, she's so worried about these are mine to play. They don't even do anything. They have no use. They're absolutely functionless as they are. And I mean, not only that, there's... There's not even, it's not like you're going to have fun with them. I mean, all she's doing is carrying them around. I thought that is so silly. And it was like the Lord, and, and of course I've been thinking about it, and working on the message, like the Lord said, but how often do you do that? How often do I say, will you just hand me that? Will you let me hold it? Will you let me have that and I'll give you something better? And you get focused on the things of this life and say, but this is mine. It's for me to play with. It's not for anyone else. This is for my pleasure. And I wonder how often God takes that which we think is so important. He says, really? I mean, in the scope of eternity, you've got a couple little pieces of Legos that don't even go together or make any sense. If you just give them to me and let me take care of everything, you'd have so much more. And yet so often, we focus on pieces of Lego, this life instead of seeing that which is actually eternal, that which is actually of importance, and that which God sees. What is your focus this morning? Where is your love drawn? 
We can do good things, right things, but if it's for the wrong reason, if it's for the wrong love, is your love more Lego? Or have you said, no, I'll put those down, and I'm just going to focus on my Savior and give everything I am and everything I have, all my energy, every ounce of me, I'm giving to him, not because I'm anything special, but because he is special. He is the one who died on the cross for my sin. He purchased me with his blood, redeemed I love to proclaim. And now I'll give him everything and all that I am into that relationship with him. And I'll just trust him with all the rest. Are you doing that or are you loving Legos? Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the reality of how powerful that you are. And Lord, so often we love Legos instead of loving our Savior. And Lord, I pray that you would convict this morning. I pray that you would help us not to hold to the things of this life. They seem so good and so important right now. And yet in reality, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, even the pride of life, it's all going to go by the wayside when we stand before our Savior. Would you help us? Would you help us to focus and be drawn to a love for you throughout this life? And Lord, would you help us to not feel as though it's some great sacrifice? but rather understand it's really a joy and it's focusing on that which is eternal and eternal blessings. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Heads are bent.